Welcome to this glorious Easter season. We have a recently recorded gathering hymn from Mike Anderson, very appropriate for this gospel, Stand Among Us Now. The gospel is John 20, 19 to 31, with the emphasis on Thomas. Benedictine Lawrence Freeman has some advice on settling quietly into mindful meditation. And our opening prayer is from Father Don Gergen. Jesus Christ, so present to us in history as well as today, eternally present in the life of the Trinity, historically present in our own day, we give you thanks for the gift of your Eucharist. Help us always to see beyond it into your real presence there. Help us to adore you in the midst of the bread and the wine, your sacred body and blood. Amen. In the evening of that same day, the first day of the week, the doors were closed in the room where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them. He said to them, Peace be with you, and showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were filled with joy when they saw the Lord, and he said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. For those whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. For those whose sins you retain, they are retained. Thomas, called the twin, who was one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. When the disciples said, We have seen the Lord, he answered, Unless I see the holes that the nails made in his hands, and can put my finger into the holes they made, and unless I can put my hand into his side, I refuse to believe. Eight days later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. The doors were closed, but Jesus came in and stood among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he spoke to Thomas. Put your finger here. Look, here are my hands. Give me your hand. Put it into my side. Doubt no longer, but believe. Thomas replied, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, You believe because you can see me. Happy are those who have not seen and yet believe. There were many other signs that Jesus worked and the disciples saw, but they are not recorded in this book. <laughs> 
These are recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing this, you may have life through his name. Why did Thomas, the faithful servant and disciple of Christ, cry out from the depth of his love, You are my Lord and my God? Where does this faith come from? Jesus said to him, You believe because you can see me. Happy are those who have not seen and yet believe. Father Nick King says that at this point we find ourselves purring with self-satisfaction because this clearly refers to us who read the good news from John. In the Nicene Creed we also say, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, suffered death and was buried, and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Some people say that faith is a gift. Some have it and others, for some reason, have not been given this gift. I think we need to be wary of thinking that because it can lead to elitism. I'm better than she, or I'm specially selected, or they don't deserve this gift anyway. Wouldn't it be like forcing someone to love? Can't be done. Love has to be given and received freely to be true, to be true love. Doesn't faith have to be given and received freely in order to be true faith? Faith cannot be imposed on someone, like a hypnotic suggestion, or because of a bribe, or in order to avoid some pain from being inflicted. Faith, first of all, has to come from a desire in a person to know Jesus. And like any relationship, it may blow hot and cold before we can say, with any conviction, my Lord and my God. This ancient hymn gives us the true depth of Thomas's witness to the risen Lord, but he had to work at it. Even after spending three years living at close quarters with Jesus and the other disciples and apostles, the words, my Lord and my God, they have become a popular Eucharistic acclamation that can be said silently as the bread and wine are lifted at the consecration during Mass, or at other times when we call upon the Lord. But we shouldn't despair if at times they sound like empty words to us. We're not even hearing Jesus every day. But that might be a good place to start. In other words, to develop faith, maybe we want to start paying attention to the person of Jesus first before trying to move mountains. Do you remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? How did they find the experience of really paying attention to Jesus' words? The Benedictine mystic Lawrence Freeman explains the difficulty we all have with paying attention to anything. He particularly is concerned with meditation and the mantra, but he says, attention is about love. When we pay attention to whoever we're paying attention to, we're loving them. Any work that we really do with real attention 
becomes a creative and a loving act. So why are we so fixated as Christians on an image of God that will punish us if we don't do things the, the right way? You can't love God who will punish you. If, if you think someone's going to punish you, then it's very difficult to love them, to trust them, to believe in them as a source of goodness and life. The readings during this Easter octave and, and Easter season tell us how Jesus was seen in a transformed way, spending time with the apostles and disciples from the first day of Easter to the time of the Ascension. This was a very important time for the early church, which needed to realise that the resurrection was not a single event at the discovery of the empty tomb and the appearance of Jesus a few yards from it. The risen Jesus was the same, but different. We can read the stories of how he had grilled fish or came and went without unlocking doors. Thomas saw how he bore the wounds on his hands and side. He wasn't described as a ghost. What the apostles witnessed to was that they had all at one time or another, met Jesus during a lengthy period following his death. The resurrection was this state of having risen to a new kind of living. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer of the Chronicles of Narnia, said that this is the beginning of the new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has opened. Pope Benedict in his day said, um, he stated the Christian faith stems or falls with the truth of the testimony that Christ is risen from the dead. His presence is entirely physical, yet he's not bound by the laws of space and time. The Gospel accounts also demonstrate the power in Jesus speaking a name. Mary was enough to change her belief that a gardener had taken the body of Jesus away to an outpouring of love. Thomas's doubts are given serious attention by Jesus and his opinion is respected and entered into seriously by Jesus in John's description of events in the upper room. Here in that upper room we have all kinds of revelations being grouped together. For instance, with this new transfigured life being shown comes the gift to the apostles of the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed on them. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. The Catechism says the breath of Jesus was the symbol of this power and links to what's called the power of the keys, which stems from the words spoken to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. This is carried on in the church in the sacraments of reconciliation, Eucharist, and particularly, I think, in baptism. The great challenge of Easter gives us today, and given us every time we read those stories, is that how are we to proclaim that Jesus is alive with a new way of living without faith? This new way is offered to all who will take time to desire to pay attention to, the, to Jesus. Let's look at that desire to pay attention. 
Faith and love comes out of this desire. It's not just a one-off. Faith, like love, is a two-way relationship that's constantly and freely offered to everyone. Like forgiveness and mercy, right me off 70 times 7. Anyone can refuse, or have doubts, or blow hot and cold. And anyone can choose to want the desire to believe. We're never left alone once we've made this decision to desire to pay attention to Jesus. Richard Rowe puts it very well when he says, None of us crosses over this gap from death to new life by our own effort, our own merit, our own purity, or our own perfection. Each of us, from Pope to President, from princes, princesses, to peasants, were carried across by an unearned grace. Worthiness is never the ticket, only deep desire. With that desire, the tomb is always finally empty, as Mary Magdalene discovered on Easter morning. Death cannot win. We're finally indestructible when we recognise that the thing which could destroy us is the very thing that could enlighten us. Richard Rohr goes on in great depth showing how we can use illness and the death and grief of our loved ones and testing times in order to find that transformation and transfiguration. And he continues, Friends, the Easter feast is a reminder to all of us to open our eyes and our ears and to witness what is happening all around us, all the time, everywhere. God's one and only job description is to turn death into life. From this first step of desire, we can then enter into the sacraments and enjoy the gift of the Holy Spirit. In baptism, forgiven all our sins, in Eucharist, keeping close to the promises of Christ, in the sacrament of reconciliation, healed again. In thanksgiving, we then, through the words of Thomas, can join in that great act of faith, my Lord and my God. Lord, please come to me in spiritual communion. Send your body and blood gushing through my veins. Send your love into my heart, my soul, my mind. Lift me up to your bosom and infuse me with your divine love. Amen.
Stand among us now Stand among your people For we need your love to make us whole Broken hearted we All in need of healing Stand among us now And make us whole Lowly Meditation, when practiced as a discipline, is not a question, not a matter of mastering a theory, nor is it a matter of mastering a technique. There's, a very, there's very little technique, when you think about it, to this way of prayer, the repetition in the heart of a single verse. There's a very simple, practical usefulness about learning to say the mantra in rhythm with your breathing, as with the Jesus prayer, for example. The Jesus prayer is clearly the mantra of the Orthodox Church. If you take a single word, 
It's useful probably to say the mantra as you breathe in on the in-breath and then breathe out in silence. Let the mantra rest on the breath as it comes in and breathe out in silence. But basically you find your own way of saying it. And basically in this tradition you would pay attention not to the breath but to the mantra, to the word. Listening to the sound of the word rather than either watching what is happening or watching your breath. Let the spirit come down. Let the spirit come down. 
Yeah.